depress me. It all starts in mid-August with school beginning. Eleven years ago, I was on bed rest with my third pregnancy. Every year when school starts back up, I remember lying on the futon in my living room. My pregnancy was doomed just weeks after conception. I began to bleed and was told to take it easy. I didn't listen, and I ended up doing more than I should. At week 18, my water broke, and I was informed that my pregnancy would end within hours, but it didn't. After a few days in the hospital, listening hourly to a strong and healthy heartbeat, I was sent home to do nothing. For the next six weeks, I tried to remain as emotionless and still as possible. Every movement meant leaking more amniotic fluid, hurting my baby. No more laughing, no more crying, no moving. When I miraculously progressed to 24 weeks, I was able to transfer to Overland Park Regional Medical Center because medical experts now said that I had a viable baby inside of me. But still my focus was, don't laugh, don't cry, don't move. At 27 and a half weeks, October 23rd, 2003, I went into labor. I was beyond scared that morning. I can't remember many details, but I know I was in one room and another. I also know that I quoted Isaiah 41:13. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says, do not be afraid. I will help you. I said that verse over and over and over, all while literally holding my hand in the air. Alexander Douglas Drake was born at 7.40 a.m., weighing 2 pounds, 4 ounces, 14 inches long. He wasn't able to breathe on his own. The next 11 days were so very short. Any good news was drowned out by so much bad news. Bad gas readings, bleeding on the brain, many more bad gas readings, and finally an infection that he just couldn't fight. I remember getting the news that he would not be able to survive that night. I think I screamed, but I know I fell to the floor. I was so embarrassed for doing that. Why on earth did I just fall on the floor? Through the entire time at Overland Park Regional, I so desperately wanted to be a godly example for the other patients and parents and the hospital staff and felt like my collapse on the floor was letting God down. I know that's silly now, but I am proud that through the worst news of my entire life, I wanted to please my Creator. A few weeks after Alex died, we went back to visit some of the hospital staff. While I had been a patient in the hospital, the chaplain would swing by my room from time to time. Knowing the seriousness of my situation, I once said to her, even if this doesn't end well, I would know it will all be okay. We ran into her in the hallway that day when we were visiting, and she asked if I still believed that. I wanted to yell no, but I said yes. I knew it would eventually be true, but every day I had to choose to get out of bed, to eat, to brush my teeth, and just keep living. I didn't bring home a baby boy, but God was faithful when I didn't always want to be. He reached down with his right hand, and he did help me. Sometimes I try to picture how life would be if he had lived and been allowed a normal life, because that's how I believe it should have gone. I should have been able to listen to him sing on Sunday mornings, or watched him play sports, or I have had the opportunity to yell at him to get out of my room and stop messing with my stuff for the umpteenth time. But then I am reminded that God's plan is perfect. I am blessed to have a changed life because of 11 days 
with my 27 week old, two pound, four ounce little brother. I remember leaving the hospital and hearing Davis whisper, are we coming back for Alex? I remember not knowing what to say to this. I knew why we were leaving. I understood that Alex wasn't coming with us. At the time, I didn't fully appreciate all that my parents did to get us through everything. Looking back, I realized that I survived that time in my life because my parents praised God through everything. I was able to give all the pain and the anger to God because I had amazing examples to follow. Through this experience, I learned that while you are supposed to give it all to Him, you also aren't supposed to do it alone. All of this happened when I was uh, very young. I was in third grade at the time, and I can't say that I remember a whole lot other than what my family has told me. But the biggest way that this affects me uh, today is when uh, someone I meet asks me if I have any siblings. That's become a rather difficult question to answer because I have to choose whether or not I want to have the hard and awkward conversation or just pretend that he doesn't exist. Because honestly, it's, it's easier sometimes to do that. Um, but there are times that I've chosen to tell this story and tell that all my family went through. And though it was hard, it helped me to know that what I went through might have helped someone else. But what really helps me the most is that I know that Jesus went through the ultimate suffering so that I can get through my suffering. I know that because of what he did for me on the cross, I'm loved far more than I could ever imagine. And because I know that he loves me, I know that what he is doing is for a purpose. I might not always know the purpose, but I have to rest in the fact that God's purpose will always win. I appreciate the, the Drake's family and, and their testimony. Did you notice how Davis ended his testimony? I want to quote him. He said, God's purpose will always win. That's pretty amazing insight. I think Davis is maybe 19 or 20 years old, and for a young man to have that kind of insight, that's, that's pretty remarkable. God's purpose will always win. In other words, if we submit to his purpose, if we trust him, even through the hardships, not only is God going to win, but we're going to win too. Maybe you noticed the scripture during the communion time that was on the screen, Romans chapter 8, 28. It is a, a verse that we've not really looked at in this series. I want to look at it today as we wrap this this series up. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, if you and I, according to this passage, if you and I are called according to his purpose, then God's promise is that he can take any situation and work good from it. He can grow us, he can make us stronger, he can make us more complete in him if we trust him. Now, as it was said earlier, we, we may not have a good answer as to why a certain tragedy has happened. In fact, we may never have a good answer as to why a tragedy has hap happened. Isaiah chapter 50, 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Some things will happen that we will never have a good answer for, but we can know this to be true, that he will be with us, he is able to carry us through that crisis, and he is able to grow us to be a stronger person. And when we are on the other side of that crisis, then we can turn around and we can help the next person who is coming through that same crisis. My father passed away a couple of months ago, and I think from that I can better empathize with someone else whose father dies. Who better to turn to someone who has lost a baby than Amy Drake, who has gone down that same road herself? Now, we don't go to that person and say to them, I understand completely what you are going through. Because really, we don't. We know the journey and we know the hurt, but everybody is different. Every situation has a bit different twist to it. And so we don't go to them and say, I know exactly how you are feeling, but we can go to that person in love and show them that we care and show them that we we don't want them to be going through that trial all by themselves, that they don't have to be alone, that we can be there to help them, to support them, to pray with them through that crisis. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. I want to talk to you for just a moment about that word know. K-N-O-W. It's the same root word that is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, your father knows that what you need before you ask him. It's the same root word that is in Matthew 9, 4, where it says, Jesus knew their thoughts. We are not talking about a I hope so kind of thing. We are talking about something that we can know with certainty. And we know that God causes all things. Or or it could be read like this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. It's a promise that we can grab a hold of. All through this series, we have been talking about our need to trust Him amidst hardship. We have been looking at the life of Joseph as as a point of reference each week. And certainly, Joseph endured a lot of hardship. As we have seen through the weeks past, when he was 17 years old, his brothers sold him into slavery. And for the next 13 years, he went from one crisis to another, each of those crises taking him on a downward spiral until he ended up in a prison cell. But even amidst that prison cell, he was not forsaken. We could say it this way. He was framed, he was forgotten, but he was not forsaken even in the darkness of that prison cell because God was with him and God had a plan to get him out of that prison cell and surely but slowly God was working that plan. Pharaoh had a dream. 
And Joseph interpreted that dream correctly. That was his get-out-of-jail-free card. And in a matter of one day, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. And he became the second most powerful man in the entire land of Egypt. But do you realize this? It was still another nine years before he would see his father's face. So think of this, from the time that he was sold into slavery to the time that he was reunited with his father, it was 22 long years. So whether it was amidst adversity or prosperity, whether it was in the dungeon or in the palace, Joseph found one thing to be true, and that is this, that God never forsook him. And if he chose to trust in God, then God was able to work everything out for the good. Not only for his good, but for everybody's good around him. In fact, that's what Joseph reiterated to his brothers in in Genesis chapter 50. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Have you ever thought about this? What uh, what about Joseph's life from that point on? We really don't know a whole lot of details about the rest of Joseph's life. When he was reunited with his father, he was pushing 40 years old. Genesis chapter 50, verse 26 The last verse in the book of Genesis says that Joseph died at the age of 110 years old. And so you put all of that together, you realize that for the next 70 years of Joseph's life, there's very little written about him. But this is what we would know from those 70 years. We know that Jacob, his father, lived for another 17 years after he had been reunited with his son Joseph. That would have put Joseph in the neighborhood of 57 years old. And it seems from Scripture that during those 17 years, Joseph was busy taking care of the land, administering the land. He was busy taking care of his aging father, He was busy taking care of his own family. He had two sons, we are told in Scripture, Ephraim and Manasseh. And at the end of Jacob's life, Joseph carried out his father's request and took his remains back to Canaan and buried him there. Chapter 50 of Genesis, this is is something else that we would know about Joseph and the end of his life, is that he was continuing to be forgiving towards his brothers. When his father died, his brothers anticipated his revenge towards them, but Joseph did not do that. He continued to offer forgiveness and mercy to his brothers. One other thing about Joseph. His name appears one time in the New Testament, only once. Do you know where? Think about it. Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith where all of those who are listed in that chapter are in what we might call the Hall of Faith. Now, baseball has its Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. 
Football has its Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and I would assume that most major sports have their own Hall of Fame where their star players are talked about and uplifted. In the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, there is what we call the Hall of Faith. And Joseph's name is in that list amongst such names as Noah and Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David. And believe me, right there amongst them is Joseph. And I'm not surprised about that at all. This is a list of superstars who are in heaven. But as I give that list to you just a moment ago, one of the first things that I noticed from that list is this. Those fellows are not perfect people. You take a look at that list, Noah and Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David. Every one of those fellows have quirks in their life. They have sin that's been a part of their life, but they have each one a common thread, and that would be this, their faith in God. They had a strong, active faith in God. And what that tells me is this, if you put your faith in the right source... God, then even amidst your sin, amidst the quirks that you have in your life, He can save you. His grace is enough to save you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Now this is how I would summarize those last 70 years of Joseph's life that we, we really don't know a whole, whole lot of detail about. I would summarize it in this way. He was faithful. He lived a faith until he took his last breath. A strong faith. Could that be said about you? I I know that's what we would like to have said about us. As we grow older, and we all are, wouldn't it be good if it could be said about us that we have been faithful until the day we died? Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus is speaking there. He says, be faithful until death, and I will give you a crown of life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, this is is the judgment scene, and, and there will be some who will stand before Jesus, and these are the words that he will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. I think that's what we all want to hear. And in order for us to get that commendation, we need to be faithful. We need to be holding on to Him until the day that He returns. Whatever hardship comes our way, we are faithful unto Him through that hardship. But I'm afraid that our definition of faithfulness has wavered a little bit over the years. Think with me for a moment as I share some statistics with you. According to a study done by the Barna Group and the Lilly Foundation of Indiana University, in in the 1950s, the number of people attending church did so at the rate of two to three times a month. And if we could go ahead and just put those statistics there. In the 1950s, a person attended church two to three times a month 
on the average, but those numbers have drastically changed. Of those who now attend church in the 2000s, they do so at the rate of 0.5 times a month. In other words, they come to church once every two months. That's the average. Now, now I understand, and I'm thankful for those folks, even within our own church body, who are in church every Sunday. And those are a part of these averages. And then there is the other spectrum, the other end of the spectrum. There are those who come to church just on Easter, maybe Christmas. And so you have one spectrum here of being in church every week. And you have this spectrum over here who is once a year. And then you have all kinds of people who are in between. And that makes up the average of the 2000s. Once every two months is the average. But what was amazing to me, too, in this study was that these people still view the church as their church. And they feel very connected to their church. They're, not, they're just not coming as much. And why? Because they have all kinds of things going in their schedule. They have soccer games to go to. They have, have trips to take uh, here and there. Or, or Maybe they just don't feel like coming to church, and so they don't. But still, they feel it's their church in their minds. They are faithful members of the church. And I, I'm wondering, has something happened here? From, from God's definition of what He had in mind in Hebrews 10.25 when He said, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the New International Version. The New Century Version says it this way. You should not stay away from the church meetings, as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this even more as you see the day approaching. I I can't help but think that our definition of faithfulness has, has wavered from God's definition of faithfulness. Follow my train of thinking here. You tell me if you think this person would be considered faithful or not. Let's say you're a member of the Fort Scott Tigers football team. And I was looking just this morning to count the number of games that they have had to this point in the year, exactly eight games. Would you consider a teammate of yours, very faithful to the team, if he has come to just one of those eight games. I don't think you would consider them very faithful. Now, understand, this person is not missing the games because he's injured. He's just got other things that he's wanted to do. Other things that are more pressing to him than being at the game. But what do you think Coach Campbell would have to say to that that player if he shows up to that one game and he wants to play? I'm kind of thinking the coach would have something to say to him. (laughs) Wouldn't you think? How about this? 
What if you're a member of the Kiwanis Club or the Rotary Club and, and, and there is a member who shows up to that meeting once every eight times that you gather together as a club? Would that member be considered a faithful member of the club? I don't think so. What about this? If you owned your own business and you had an employee who showed up once every eight days to come to work, would you consider that employee a faithful employee? I don't think you would. In fact, I think he wouldn't be working for you very much longer if that were the case. What if you were in the hospital and you were sick? And in that eight days that you were in the hospital, your doctor came to see you one day out of the eight. Would you be very happy with your doctor? I don't think you would be. You might have something to say to your doctor. What if your car started once out of every eight times that you got in it? Would you be happy with your car? I don't think you'd be happy with your car. You'd be looking for a new car, or you'd be looking for somebody to work on the car that you have. Now, I understand that our faithfulness to God is not measured solely by our church attendance. Would you please hear me say that this morning? Our faithfulness to God is not measured solely by our church attendance. A person could be in church every Sunday and not be a faithful person to God if indeed they are living like the devil the rest of the week. And so don't go out of here this morning saying that the preacher has said the litmus test of faithfulness is your church attendance. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm thinking surely there's got to be an understanding on our part that we cannot have two standards of of definition, two definitions for faithfulness. If we're striving for faithfulness to God, may it show up in every aspect of our life, in our church attendance, in our giving, in our reading the Bible, and in our praying, in our service to God, in our witnessing, in how we treat our fellow man. Are we loving him? Are we forgiving him? Are we going the extra mile with him? May our faithfulness to God show up in our personal holiness and how we talk, that we are not talking like the world. Rather, we are, we are honoring the Lord through our conversation. May our faithfulness show up to God in how we respond to trials that come our way, that when trials come, we are holding on to Him, we are trusting Him. When prosperity comes, that we are holding on to Him and trusting Him. And you may be saying, what does all of this have to do with Joseph? I'll tell you what it has to do with Joseph. He was faithful to God until the day he died. And may that be the challenge for each of us here today. That we would be faithful to God until we take our last breath. That we would live wholeheartedly for Him. That our soul and our heart would be His. And we understand it's not by works that we are saved. We are not earning our way to salvation. But faithfulness is required of us. 
And we want to hear those words when we stand before Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Joseph was faithful to God through the ups and downs of his life. When his father, Jacob, died, Joseph did not waver in his faith. And as he grew older, he held firm to his faith. He held firm to the God of his youth. And think about this. Joseph lived in a land of Egypt for 93 years where everyone around him believed in a plurality of gods. And that was the culture that Joseph lived in. And that culture would have been trying to have a strong influence on him to cause him to bend, to cause him to change his way of thinking, to accept the idea that there are many gods around, but Joseph never wavered. He held true to his convictions and to the truth, and that is that there is only one God, and his name is the Lord God Almighty. And then Joseph turned around and that is the truth that he taught to his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And they grew up in that same culture as what their father did. Joseph remained faithful to God until the day that he died. And that's my challenge to you today as we come to the conclusion of this series. Be faithful to God until the day you die. Trust Him. Whatever comes your way, when, when adversity comes your way, be faithful to God. When prosperity comes your way, be faithful to God. When temptation comes your way, be faithful to God. When false accusations come against you, you be faithful to God. When days of loss and death come your way of loved ones, you be faithful to God. And as you grow older, you be faithful to God until the day you die. And when you stand before Him, you'll hear these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. May we be faithful to you. And may our faithfulness grow, Lord, in every aspect of our life. We thank you for Joseph and his showing us what it means to be faithful, what it means to bloom where one has been planted. Help us, Lord, to walk in His footsteps. We pray this in Jesus' name.